We are thankful for another uh, Lord's Day as we, this morning, looking at Psalm 55 is where our text is going to center around. And that was, because we do a lot of different devotionals and, and podcasts and things like that, sometimes I kind of forget where I talked about what, where, and when. But uh, this idea came from a, a, a lesson I did, uh, I believe, last week. And we look at Psalm 55. It's a very interesting uh, uh, text, as Brother Chris is reading through there a moment ago. And he goes on, Mark's brother passed, verse 14. But it, we find in verse 50, in Psalm 55, a man who is under great attacks, and he has a lot of hard things that come against him. But one of the things that stands out that he says he just could not bear were the attacks by those, as Brother Chris read a moment ago, were those who were his companion. Uh, you know, and we'll talk more about this as we go through this, but I think it's fair to say that when we are hurt by our friend or by our companion, that is worse than probably anything else, isn't it? And we expect to have hard times from those who are not Christians. We expect to have hard times come upon us from the world when we're trying to live a life that's pleasing to God. But if our companion comes against us, that's a whole different kind of pain. And so this morning, I want to show what we can learn from the trials caused by enemies and even our own friends, or sometimes, if we find here in verse 14, even our own brethren. Think about this for a moment. Do attacks come sometimes from unexpected places? You ever had someone turn on you or say something against you that you never thought for a million years they'd ever do that? Or say something against you that you never thought they would say? We find, if you look at Psalm 55, we begin by looking at how he is attacked first by his enemies, but then he goes on to talk about how he's also attacked by his, by his companions as well. And we find here in Psalm 55, this is David who is speaking here. And he says here in verse 1, which won't be on the screen, he says, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. So the text actually begins in verse 1 by him calling out to God to hear his supplication or to hear his prayer. And then we continue here as we're going to look at, we're going to find that David is going to suffer in Psalm 55, verses 2 through 8. We find that his enemies are threatening him. Now we may think, how would you classify, or how would you describe someone today who is your enemy? What would make them your enemy? Maybe because they say things against you. Maybe because they talk about you in front of you, behind you. Maybe because they're just out to try to cause you grief each and every day. Maybe it's because of the language and the things they talk about around you that you cannot stand. Maybe it's because of what they stand for, being godly things. And so maybe that's why people sometimes become our enemies. And many times, if we're honest, it's not that we seek out to create an enemy, but someone sometimes makes us their enemy because of what they stand for and how it contradicts what the Bible teaches. And when someone contradicts what the Bible teaches and wants to do what is that wants to do what is against God and try to push it upon you, they will quickly become your enemy. Looking at Psalm 55, beginning here in verse 2, we find his enemies threaten him. He says, Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint and moan noisily. Now again, verses 1 and 2, he is praying to God. He is calling out to God. He says, it is God who, wants, who he wants to attend to him, to hear him. He says there, I am restless in my complaint. You ever had a sleepless night and know what it's like to get up in the morning and just be exhausted for the next day, maybe two days, because of hard times that are happening in your life for the various reasons? 
And well, that's what he talks about here. He says, I'm restless in my complaints and moan noisily. I mean, he's just moaning and groaning and upset about what's going on. He says, because of the voice of, my, of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. Now, again, it's not here in verse three. It's not yet his companion who's oppressing him. It is the wicked. It's those who are living in a way that's not pleasing the sight of God. Those who are condoning every sinful action of, of possible. Those are the ones who have brought themselves against him. Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. He says, where they bring down trouble upon me and in wrath, they hate me. Which means, think about that, in wrath, they hate me. You ever hear, hear the idea of someone who hates someone very, very strongly? I remember I heard it, someone can remember where I heard it from. They said, I hate that, the passion of a thousand sons. And I thought, that's a lot of hate. Well, that's the idea we find here in verse 3, isn't it? And in wrath, they hate me. He says, my heart is severely pained within me. So it's not just the idea of possible physical pain, but it's the idea that he is hurting in a mental way. That they are mentally causing him distress, which means they're saying things against him and causing him to, to stress and have mental and physical, no doubt, stress. He says, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. It would seem that he is saying there's a possibility I may die because of these people around me, because of their wrath against me, because of how much they hate me. He says, the terrors of death have fallen upon me. And then he says, fearfulness and trembling have come upon me and horror has overwhelmed me. Now, think about David has seen a lot in his time, hasn't he? Remember, this is the same guy who killed Goliath, measuring about nine feet tall, right? Now, to me, for him to say, I am fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, it has to be something pretty intense, doesn't it? Something that worried him more than a giant like Goliath did. He is no doubt in a very difficult place. So I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. I mean, if I could just run away, I would. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. I would just flee and go away if I could. And what David is saying is he can't. He can't fly away like a dove. He can't wander off and remain in the wilderness. He can't flee and hasten to escape from a windy storm and a tempest, which means he has to stay there and handle it. Looking at verse 9, he says here, excuse me, verse 10 rather, we'll come back to verse 9. So verses 2 through 8, his enemies are hunting him down, they're, they're causing him pain. In verses 10 to 11, we find that the city is now being described and it's filled with wickedness. Look at verses 10 to 11. He says, day and night they go around it on its walls. Iniquity and trouble are also in the midst of it. Destruction is in its midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from its streets. So David is in distress, and now the city itself where he is at is full of all kinds of wickedness and evil. So you have the image here of David being threatened by his enemies. How he says death is, you know, is falling all around him. Could be the idea of people who are dying. Give the idea that he has a chance of dying. In verses 10 and 11, he says, day and night to go around on its walls. Because city walls literally usually used to be wide enough you could walk across the top of them. Iniquity and trouble, iniquity being sin, and trouble are also in the midst of it. So it's full of sin. 
People who are walking around are just looking for a way to do evil, to break the laws of God. He says destruction is in its midst, which means they're destroying things. I picture riots and destruction. Not peaceful riots, but actual riots, right? Destruction is in its midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from its streets. So people being oppressed and there's dishonesty and just hardship all throughout its streets. If you back up in just a moment, we're going to find that while David talks about his suffering, he talks about the wickedness of the city, he also mentions here how he is seeking justice. But also notice who he wants to carry out this justice. Sometimes we want you know, wrath, we want people to be punished severely. But look at verse 9 here. He says, Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. He wants the Lord to carry out these things. He says, For I have seen violence and strife in the city. Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues. He wants them to be wiped out. Well, that's not a uncommon asking, is it? Because in verse 10 and 11, the city was full of sin, full of deceit. People were being killed. The city was burning, being destroyed. People were walking around just looking for evil things to do. And so he wants God to pour out his wrath upon them. We drop down to verse 15, and we're going to come back to these other verses here in just a moment. Notice what he says. He says, let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell, for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. Now, those are some pretty strong words, aren't they? Let them go down into hell. He's saying just kill them all and then punish them forever. He says, for wickedness is in their dwellings, which means there, there is sin even in their homes. Which, if we're honest, that's where it often begins, isn't it? It begins in the home, then it spreads out to the streets, it spreads out to the city. And he says, just go to the core, go to the homes. For wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. So David is suffering. The city is being destroyed. David is calling out for God to pour out his wrath upon these wicked people. And let me back up for just a moment for our next, for our second main point. We find here in verses 12 through 14, another source of David's pain is where, the, is where some of these attacks are coming from. If you look at verses 12 and follow, we find the closeness that once was shared. You look at verses 12 through 14. He says, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng or in the crowd. What he's saying is these enemies, seems to be now, some of them were his, even his own brethren, his own friends. He says in verse 12, For it's not an enemy he reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, that I could hide from it. He's saying it's not that it's an enemy that would say, Oh, I expect this. He's saying, For it's not an enemy he reproaches me, then I could bear it, or I could handle it. He says, nor is it one who hates me. So it's not someone who you might expect. He says, in verse 13, but it was you, a man, my equal. Now think for a moment, how would you feel if all of a sudden your friend, your closest friend, picture one or two of them, and they turn against you? You know what I think about? I think about, well, there's several people, actually. One, I think about Christ, right? 
His disciples, the Bible tells us, they all departed him for a time when he was arrested after he exited the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Betrayed by Judas, they all departed. They would come back one by one, but they all departed at least for a time. Remember what happened to Job? His friends, what happened? They just spent chapter after chapter just being a source of contention to Job. And he calls them at one point lousy comforters, right? We look here in verse 13, he says, But it was you, a man, my equal, my companion, and my acquaintance. He knew these people. Verse 14 says, he says, They had been to the house of God together. They had worshipped God together. It would seem at this point that David's pain and his difficulty became much, much deeper. These people were close to him. And we know, again, we expect tax from enemies, but we should not expect them or have to deal with them from our brethren or from our companions. We find in verse 20, we're going to skip around just a little bit here. We drop down to verse 20. We find the friends' deceit and corruptness. Notice this. He has put forth his hand against those who were more at peace with him. He has broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smooth, smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn like swords. They were his hidden enemy. That's a sad thing to think about, isn't it? His hidden enemy. He says here he has put forth his hands against those who were at peace. He has broken his covenants. I mean, this, these individuals are going against God. And we find in verse 20, they spoke kindly to David, but they secretly wanted to harm him. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. War was in his heart. Not distrust, not anger, not bitterness. War was in his heart. They wanted to cause him pain. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn like swords. You notice we find a similar idea in Psalm 41 and verse 9. He says, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. There may be those who at times turn against us. We have to learn to deal with that too, don't we? We have to learn how to handle those things because people are people. Sometimes they're good to the very end. Sometimes they betray us at times we need them the most. And we find here with David, he was no doubt being betrayed. He was no doubt now being hunted even by his companions, by those whom he had worshipped God with. In Psalm 41, verse 9, he says, his familiar friend in whom I am trusted, who ate my, who ate my bread, which I did there, he was, he was in his house. He has lifted up his heel against me. Betrayal and intentional hurt by those close to you can cut deeper than even an enemy. You think about Samson in Judges chapter 16. To me, that's it's an interesting story. We think about Samson because he was strong, right? And how he tore down the pillars at the end of his life there and, and those types of things. But Sam, Samson's life, at least in part, was one of a lot of heartache. We look at Judges 16, beginning in verse 18. Delilah, we find, is the main source of it, or at least the final source of it. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the Lord to the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. 
He has revealed everything to her, right? And why did he do that? He was in love with Delilah. We never said Samson was the most intelligent person on the planet, but that's who he was in love with. And sometimes when you love those individuals, love someone, you'll, you'll reveal things to them without even realizing that they're not returning that love in return. Verse 18. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. She was paid off, right? Remind you of Judas, who also betrayed Christ for money. Verse 19, then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. What a lovely person, right? He loved her so much and she just wanted to make the money. And then look at verse 19. She began to torment him. I don't know what she did, but whatever she did, it caused him great pain. I don't believe she had to do anything physical, do you? All she had to do was talk. Oh, you foolish man, right? Because you remember, she tested him several times where he finally said, you shaved the hair of my head, that's where it's at. And in verse 19, his strength left him. Looking at verse 20, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him to down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. So what happened? He was betrayed by Delilah, one whom he loved the most. It's not uncommon to see where individuals are betrayed by those who are closest to them. Again, Job 19, looking at verse 19. All my close friends abhor me, and those whom I, have, whom I love have turned against me. How sad it is. And does that mean we're guaranteed to have someone turn against us in this life? No. Not at all. Many of us may have companions and family members who are with us to the very end. Well, there are always chances and opportunities and possibilities, I should say, there will be those who turn against us. And we have to know how to respond, don't we? David responded by going to God in prayer, Psalm 55, verse 1, right? That's how he began. He made a supplication to God. He cried out to God. Some lessons for us today, as I've already started to hit on this, we must respond like David. We must respond like David, praying during times of trials. We saw that in verse 1. We see it here in verse 16. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. From our text, Psalm 55, verse 16. We also see it in verses 18 and 19, verse 22 and 23. He prays to God during those times of trials. David constantly prayed during these scary and painful times. And I say scary because it is scary to think about someone whom we love turning against us. Look at Psalm 69, verse 14. He says, deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from those who hate me and out of the deep waters. He's in those deep waters, which I think is figurative, because of those who hate him. He is figuratively in a dark and deep place of pain and hurt. And he says in verse 14, it is God who can deliver him. He says, deliver me out of the mire. Let me not sink. Let me be delivered from those who hate me. And out of the deep waters. Every time, each of those phrases includes the idea of God bringing him out. 
Look at Lamentations chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. So we find in verse 18, I did, he, is, he says that his hope comes from the Lord, though it seems like at the moment it's perishing. But look at verse, 19, verse 21. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. There, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. That's what he remembers. He feels like all hope is lost, but he remembers, you know what? That's not true. Verse 22, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Why? Because his, compa his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Grace is your faithfulness. Looking at verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. You know what that means, the Lord is my portion? That he is all we need. God is all we need in this life. We may have different individuals who fail, fail us at times. We may have those who turn against us. <coughs> Our various leaders may fail us, which is something we should just get used to. But you know, God doesn't do that. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't depart from us. God is our portion, as he says there in verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. <coughs> so first, we must respond like David. And secondly, we must guard our hearts. We have to learn sometimes we have to. I'm not saying we don't ever open up to people. That's not what I'm talking about. But sometimes we have to take steps to prevent ourselves from getting hurt, don't we? Man would be wise to be prepared for heartache. God will always be our closest friend. We want to be able to confide in our companions and our spouses and our closest friends. But sometimes, friends, we realize that beyond that, we have to be careful who we open ourselves up to. Because sometimes we open ourselves up to hurt, don't we? In Micah chapter 7, looking at verses 5 through 7, he says here, Do not trust in the friend. Do not put your confidence in companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. For son dishonors father. Daughter rises against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. Therefore, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Now, is this telling us to never have a friend, to never trust anyone? No. You put this in context, you talking about how the Bible, the truth of God's word, can divide people. Even the closest friend, even the closest family member. Even Christ in the gospel accounts quotes some of this as well. When he says, I'm not coming to bring peace, but a sword. But I said a mother against her, uh, you know, mother against, you know, son against her mother. Mother against, you know, father, those types of things. Repeat basically all of this. And he says that what brings a division is the truth of God's word. And we have to be honest, sometimes some of our friends can't handle the truth of God's word. There was a movie years ago regarding an, an army situation. One of the lines you may remember is, you can't handle the truth, right? You know, biblically speaking, a lot of people, they really can't. They can't handle to hear, repent, be baptized. They can't handle to hear, till, you know, till death do us part. They can't handle to hear, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. 
They can't handle to hear of one church. They can't handle to hear that the Bible way is the only way to get to heaven. And because of that, sometimes our friends will turn against us. And we must be prepared for the possibility, know how to respond. We must be those who know how to respond to both our enemies and those who reveal or attempt, reveal an attempt uh, to hide their attacks against us. A real attempt, I should say, to hide their attacks against us. Because sometimes our friends aren't our friends after all. A difficult saying, and I don't think this is original with me. I've said it before, but I don't think I'm the one who came up with it. But a difficult saying, but one that sometimes sadly reveals itself to be true, is that no one can build you up like the brethren or your brother, and no one can hurt you as deeply as brethren or a brother. You know, it's sad, isn't it? But it's true. Because sometimes we say things that we have no business saying. But sometimes we can build one another up. And that should be our desire. The pain that hurts the most is that which comes from a friend. But our greatest friend, our greatest source of encouragement is always going to be God. And in Psalm 55, that's where David turns. He turns to God over and over and over again. Job called out to God, not realizing that all the details of his whole situation, but he called out to God repeatedly throughout that book. Noah, when he was building the ark, I'm no doubt prayed to God constantly because his enemies were literally all around him. Those from their period of Exodus who were in Egypt before they were brought out called out to God. We find example after example where the friend, the best friend for the Christian, for the follower of God, is always going to be God the Father. And we find those words of encouragement, we find those words of advice, those words of what we need to do to be pleasing to God in His Word. But we can never find that comfort, we can never find that encouragement if we don't open up the Bible. We don't pray to God, we don't seek to obey Him, then friends, He won't be our friend. The Bible tells us that, that if we love him, we will keep his commandments. You know, you're all not my friends if you do whatever I command you. We found there in the gospel accounts. I believe there in the book of John, Christ says that as well, right? You're all not my friends if you do whatever I command you. Which means if you want to be a friend of God, you have to first obey him. We think about the difficult times. If you were to think about for a moment some difficult times you faced in your life, and I can promise you each and every time God could have made that easier for you. God could have lifted you up during those difficult times. But in order for that to happen, we have to turn to him. David did that. And every time he did so, as he says there, I believe in Psalm 49, God lifted him up out of the mire. This morning, as you think about these things, we can help you encourage in any way. We'd be glad to assist.